0: You're now tuned into the Morning Star Show with Supersize Seventy Five. Hey, don't shoot the messenger. some nigga shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're now tuned into the Morning Star Show with Super Sai 75. Hey, we're back with another chapter we're gonna discuss out of the Forgotten Cause of the Civil War, chapter six. The new white slaves. Uh, in the meantime, let me go ahead and read the spiel to you guys. <clears throat> this is the heavily flawed individual on on www.onthewakeradio.com twenty four seven three sixty five. Shout out to my producer Cindy Ashby. Replays can always be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and Anchor for the replays. All right, so let's get into it. Chapter six: The new white slaves. Quote: Slavery, black or white is right and necessary written by George Fitzhugh the principle of slavery in itself right and does not depend on difference of complexion the daily Richmond inquirer the fugitive slave law of 1850 was one way in which free whites in the north were threatened with white slavery A second way had to do with the belief that the Southern oligarchy desired to nationalize slavery and eventually enslave white laborers in the North. At face value, this notion seems preposterous, but in truth, that is precisely what many believe the South ultimately intended to do. The first quotation in the epigraph above was written by George Fitzhugh, who, although at an oddity when compared to other Southern writers, was nonetheless of great importance. As will be seen, his unique views on slavery left a profound impression on Lincoln and Northern senators and congressmen. Fitzhugh was an anonymous editorialist for the Daily Richmond Inquirer, the foremost political newspaper in the South. The second quotation in the epigraph appeared in one of his editorials. Many Northerners pointed to these two statements along with others as evidence that the South did indeed intend to nationalize slavery and ultimately enslave white people in the North. Both first appeared in Southern publications, but were then quoted and requoted many times from the mid-1850s to the eve of the Civil War in Northern newspapers, books, and even Congressional speeches and dialogues these two quotations and others will be repeated throughout this chapter in an effort to convey to the modern reader a sense of the impact their frequent repetition must have had on readers in the antebellum north not every northerner of course read every source in which these quotations and others appeared but the fact still remains that they were often published certainly not every date and source is reproduced here herein but a good representation has been included in order that the point be made. The statements from the Southern press, which were repeated in the North, as well as other words which expressed the emotional depth of how people in both the North and the South were feeling during this time, provide a profound profound insight into the anxieties and tensions that were continuing to mount as the Civil War approached. Figurative white slavery was one thing, that is to say, free white northerners being forced to abide by the political will of the pro-slavery south being legally forced to assist in the capture of fugitive slaves in the free states of the north is a prime example although a careful analysis of republican campaign literature and other political material from 1856 and 1860 shows that many northerners really believe the south wanted to literally enslave free white laborers in the north History professors with whom this issue has been discussed insist that when white slavery is alluded to or spoken of directly, it is always figurative white slavery. The South never desiring to actually enslave Northern whites in a literal physical sense. The fact of the matter is, however, is that figurative white slavery was seen by many as just the beginning. Literal, Literal white slavery was thought to be a very real possibility. From a historical perspective, it seemed only natural for the South to desire the nationalization of slavery and have designs on enslaving northern white laborers. The institution of slavery had existed in every one of the northern states throughout the colonial period. The research of Michael A. Hoffman II shows that such slavery was not limited to black slavery. During the 17th and 18th centuries, white political prisoners and petty criminals from Britain were sold and brought to the colonies in chattel slavery between the early 1770s and 1804 rhode island vermont pennsylvania massachusetts new hampshire connecticut new york and new jersey all of which had slavery passed outright abolition and gradual emancipation laws during the 1850s, the South's plan to nationalize slavery was merely to reintroduce it into the North where it had been previously existed just 50 to 75 years earlier. As Fitzhugh said, slavery will everywhere be abolished or everywhere be reinst- reinstituted. With so many white party slaves in the South to begin with, the idea of expanding slavery to include white laborers in the North moved slavery from a matter of color. a matter of class. Southern politicians frequently pointed out that the slavery in Greece and Rome was based on social status not on color and the slavery in the Bible was not Negro slavery. The idea of enslaving whites in the north first figuratively and then literal was not a new one. As William Goodell declared back in 1836, the object of the South is to destroy the free labor of the North and reduce our laboring citizens to the moral and physical conditions of their slaves. Russell B. Nye has expressed the basic rationale in the following explanation: If slavery were the basic, if slavery were to ever extend it to the white man, the laborer was warned he would first he would be the first to be enslaved, since his was the weakest political and economic position in society let me say it again if slavery were ever extended to the white man the laborer was warned he would be the first to be enslaved since his was the weakest political and economic position in society such it was claimed was the actual intention of the slaveholding south which was the support of the powerful industrial interests of the north was gaining dominance over the national government The published proceedings of the Rhode Island Anti-Slavery Convention in 1836 referred to white slavery and the white laborer. If human beings may be enslaved and on so frivolous and impious a pretext as the color their creator has given them their skins, white men may be enslaved. The northern white laborer has been told that his freedom is a curse from which the southern slave is kindly and righteously exempted. Color is become an item of little account in the modern argument. So as to the early 1830s, the idea had taken root that slavery was becoming an issue of social class rather than color. Whites could be enslaved as well as blacks. We commenced the present struggle to obtain the freedom of the slave. We are compelled to continue it to preserve our own. So stated William his letter of resignation from the New York State Anti-Slavery Society in 1836. A year earlier, his peer James G. Burney wrote, The contest is becoming, has become, one not alone of freedom of for the black, but of freedom for the white. Likewise, in the 1839, William Goodell declared in his newspaper the Anti-Slavery Lecturer that the Southern statesman, who have sought and predicted the perpetuity of the slavery system, has predicted that the laboring white population would also become slaves and have signified their hearty consent to such a result. We do not recollect a single Southern statesman or eminent Southern writer who has pretended to believe that slavery, if it continues to exist, will be confined to the blacks. Slavery must cease or else large masses of white people will become slaves. No one except the northerner ever conceives of slavery as being restricted to color, but to them. Whenever the idea of slavery is presented, it is always rolls up in imagination a dense cloud of black people. They forget that the slaves among the Romans were chiefly whites, that the Helots of Sparta were of the same color that bible arguments for slavery especially in paul's day are arguments for enslaving white people that our english forefathers saw their own nation and color enslaved by the irish that the feudal servitude of scotland and all of northern europe was the enslavement of white people wow earlier goodell commented after quoting from such a speech on slavery by professor thomas R. Dew of the college of william and mary in plain english the day will come when all the laboring people throughout the whole country will become the slaves of the rich the freedom of the white laboring class in the north was not safe a sentiment expressed back in 1839 In a later publication, Goodell pointed out that Governor McDuffie of South Carolina in his message to the legislator in December 1835 predicted that the body of the laboring people of the North would be virtually reduced to slavery within 25 years. In a March 1844 issue of the Herald of Freedom, Chancellor William Harper of South Carolina was quoted as saying, it is as much in the order of the nature that men should enslave each other as the animals should prey upon each other. An editorial followed. Uh, We have to fend for themselves. Uh, They were taken care of... uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, I messed up. I'm sorry, that's... Run that back real quick. Uh, it will be observed in the above abominable sentiment of a Southern judge. No allusion is made to color as constituting a barrier up to the encroachments of tyranny. In fact, that distinction, if it ever did exist, is fast fading away into polluted regime under the operations of a system that places the children of the same father in the incongruous and unnatural relation of master and slave, and that the mingles the worst passions of human nature with the tears of blood. They have been so accustomed to the spectacle of white slaves that they cannot contemplate northern operatives, the farmers and mechanics of the free states, in any other light than as the legitimate property of the capitalist to be bought and worked and flogged and sold at the will of the pleasure of the master. The year 1854 was a very significant one for the South and pro-slavery interests. In addition to the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854 I saw the publication of a book that was to have profound ramifications all during the six years leading up to the Civil War. The first quotation in the epigraph of this, in this chapter came, to, uh, came from George Fitzhugh's Sociology for the South or the Failure of Free Society. In the, the Union, there were two political ideologies, free and slave, totally at odds with one another. Fitzhugh talked about free society in the North being a failure and universal slavery, not based on color, being the only successful alternative. Ten years ago, we became satisfied that slavery, black or white, was right and necessary. We advocated this, do- this doctrine in a very many essays, sometimes editorially and sometimes as a communicant. The Fredericksburg recorder and Richmond examiner will testify to this fact. He explained that more than half of the white citizens of the North are common laborers, either in the field or as a body or, ho- or house servants. They performed the same services that our slaves do. White laborers received no money when they were ill and could not work, though willing it to, if a job was available. They worked long hours for very low wages and were living in poverty, which in turn led to crime and undermining of free society. Fitzhugh fully developed these points and others regarding wage earners in the North. Slaves, on the other hand, did not have to fend for themselves. They were taken care with food, clothing and shelter free society was a failure slave society was a success if the union could not exist half slave and half free the nationalization of slavery with white laborers in the north being enslaved as well was the better alternative this was a major theme in the Southern uh, politics from the mid 1850s to 1860. As the anti-slavery newspaper, the National Era said in 1859, it is not more than four or five years ago since the slavery propagandists of Virginia broached the idea that slavery is the natural and proper condition of the laboring classes, whether white or black, and that this, it was simply a question of time when this theory was to be reduced to practice. Wilfred Carcell has reviewed the contemporary literature and confirms the pro-slavery belief that so-called free society was a miserable failure and that the enduring civilization could be erected and maintained only upon the southern chattel slavery system. White laborers in the north were already thought of as white slaves in turn of Fitzhugh's sociology in a famous address to the senate on march 4th 1858 senator james henry hammond from south carolina articulated fitzhugh's idea of the failure of free society in all social systems there must be a class to do the mean duties to perform the drudgery of life it constitutes the very mudsills of society and of political government and you might as well attempt to build a house in the air as to build either the one or the other except on the mud sills fortunately for the South she found a race we use them for the purpose and call them slaves we are old-fashioned at the South yet it is a word discarded now by ears polite but I will not characterize the class at the North with that term but you have it it is there it is everywhere it is eternal your whole class of manual laborers and operatives as you call them are slaves the difference between us is that our slaves are hired for life and well compensated there is no starvation no begging no want of employment among our people and not too much employment either yours are hired by the day not cared for and scantily compensated you meet more beggars in one day in any single street of the city of new york than you would meet in a lifetime in the whole south our slaves are black of another inferior race. They are happy, content, unaspiring. Your slaves are white of your own race and feel galled by the degradation. Wow. Some are strong, others weak, some amiable and brave, others cowardly and prone to all kinds of wickedness. These natural inequalities beget inequalities of rights. The weakened mind or body requires guidance, support, and protection. They must obey and work for those who protect and guide them. They have a natural right to guardians, teachers, or masters. Nature has made them slaves. All that law and government can do is regulate and mitigate their slavery. Holy cow. Uh, (laughs) A year before Hammond's congressional speech, Fitzhugh published his second book, Cannibals All or Slaves Without Masters, a volume that never received the same notoriety as Sociology for the South. As Fitzhugh, subtle and Hammond's speech imply, given the superiority of the slave syst- slavery system over the system of free labor, a white laborer in the North would do much better as the slave of one owner than the slave of society. Conceiving of Northern white laborers as white slaves, Fitzhugh asked, how can we contend that white slavery is wrong whilst all the great body of free laborers are starving and slaves, white or black, throughout the world are enjoying comfort? In sociology for the South, Fitzhugh advocated whites in the North being able to sell their own personal liberty for a period of time, just as the indentured servants had done. And as he says, the law did not once permit it. In an eighteen fifty-six letter to the New York abolitionist A. Hodgeboom, he explained, I would suffer women who were destitute and encumbered with small children to sell themselves and children for life or for a term of years and permit agricultural laborers to sell themselves for a year at a time, but later in the same letter, in a qualification, he wrote that no white man need work as a common hireling in the field, for his services will be wanted in the more skillful and less laborious occupations. This limited enslavement would be treated differently than the enslavement of blacks. We disclaim the purpose of reducing the white man anywhere to the condition of Negro slaves here it would be very unwise and unscientific to govern white men as you would Negroes Hodge acknowledged that Fitzhugh was promoting limited voluntary slavery after all you are not for perpetual slavery here in the north but for slavery that only lasts a year at a time this selling of one's own liberty was a minor consideration Fitzhugh's penchant was for speaking of slavery in general terms Yikes. Uh, Fitzhugh wrote to Hodge Hodge Boom, All uh, socialists, indeed, I might say, are men that the common laborer class or all the weaker members of society require more protection than is now afforded them. But to protect men, we must have the power of controlling them. We must first enslave them before we can protect them white slavery for Fitzhugh meant white northerners selling their liberty for a period of time and even for life they would be slaves they would be property Fitzhugh spoke of them the power to command the laborers of others to enslave them property in man is what we're all struggling to obtain in 1856 after the after being successful with sociology for the south Fitzhugh published the, the counter current or slavery principle, an important article in which he reaffirmed that domestic slavery is right in principle and practice. Particularly noteworthy is the fact that he speaks exclusively of outright slavery and does not mention the idea of conditional servitude where people would sell themselves into bondage for a number of years. Fitzhugh later wrote, white slavery, not black, has been the normal element of civilized society. He who justifies mere Negro slavery and condemns other forms of slavery does not think at all, no, not in the least. Domestic slavery must be vindicated in the abstract without regard to race or color. Fitzhugh's thinking evolved and has shown his observation he made in 1858. He came to believe that white slaves were better than black slaves. European slaves have... (laughs) have ever been almost all of the white race. Negro slavery is of very recent origin. To say the white race is not the true and best slave race is to con- contradict all history. my <laughs> cow. In addition to being the author of two books and a number of articles in Southern journals, Fitzhugh wrote anonymous editorials for the Richmond Inquirer during 1855 and 1856, undoubtedly his most famous one was published on december 15 1855 under the title negro slavery in the constitution Fitzhugh said that the apologists for slavery who based the institution on Negro slavery were wrong because they gave up the slavery principle established in ancient times. Slavery was not based on color. The Bible ordained, authorized, and enforced white slavery. Fitzhugh spoke of human experience showing the universal success of slave society and the universal failure of free society. You know what? I'm just going to leave. I'm not even going to continue with this you get where this is going so that's just partial part of chapter six the white slave i'll come back in another day or so um to uh, to to get into this is fascinating i forgot this this so much in this book so basically uh, once again furthering the proof and the you know that the, the civil war came to be to free uh, the white slaves or the to to stop potential white slavery in the north <laughs> with that being said y'all have a good one peace Lord individual thanks for keeping the lights on dn on the wake up you the people have the power the power to create happiness let us use that power let us all unite let us fight for a new world you, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us all unite. otwtube.com, uncensored free speech platform.